you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Stanton, I forgot to tell you that when I was uh, back in Seattle for the USC game, a buddy of mine, um, loyal listener, one of one of seven, um, mm-hmm. told me that he really wants to know. Uh, he he actually doesn't want to know what you look like, but he's very curious what you look like because of of your voice. How does that make you feel? Uh, does that mean I have some admirers out there? I think so. This is this is the uh, the growing online movement that wants uh, you to become the full time host. Well, today is actually a pretty monumental day in my life because I purchased an adult multivitamin for the first <laughs> time ever. So uh, I'm probably I probably added a few years onto my life expectancy starting today. So uh, whatever he has heard before is a completely new person today. Yeah, now you sound like Andrea Bocelli, like the uh, the singer, not the slaughter singer. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's Ponte uh, Party Row. Exactly. Um, that's that's amazing. One single vitamin is that how, how it works on the streets, or do you buy a whole? Yeah. Jar? Uh, no, no. This is a serving size of two. So, uh, but I'm not going to go above that because I don't want to get too wild. <laughs> <laughs> you became 45 years old before my very eyes, and uh, it was <laughs> it was time. I mean, you've always been an old soul, but. Uh, I love I love that you're leaning into it. Um, <laughs> all right, well that was amazing. You really caught me off guard there. Uh, let's uh, let's get into things today. I want to start things off with a with a brief note here about uh, UW linebacker MJ Tafisi, um, who left the Arizona game on Saturday uh, via stretcher. It was a very scary situation um, where you could tell the athletic trainers as they came out that one of the the trainers uh, made some signal to the sideline. Uh, that they needed the backboard, which is a, a, a note that they need to keep him straight, not move his neck, uh, which is about as scary as it can get. And any Husky fan who uh, has been a fan of the team for a long time uh, thinks of one name in that situation, and that's Curtis Williams, um, the late Curtis Williams, who who died as a result of of a uh, of a spinal injury. Um, I think in the the 2000 season, or he didn't die that season, but that's when he sustained it. So um, everything sounds great with Tafisi. He was able to to fly home with the team. Um, from Chris Peterson's account, it was a severe stinger, um, which is a, a pinched nerve, which can still lead to to scary symptoms and and look um, and feel as if there's some element of paralysis there. But it's a temporary thing rather than a permanent thing. Uh, but uh, but our our condolences, our our hearts were were and are with uh, with Tafisi. But um, definitely a, a heart stopper there in the middle of that game. Yeah, obviously all four uh, precaution here. So I'm glad that they did what they did and you know took him off the field with as much care as possible. Um, it's worth noting he is listed on the two deeps this week going into the Oregon game. Uh, I'd be surprised <laughs> if he plays, but. You know, crazier things have happened, but I guess uh, the most important thing here is he seems to be okay, and uh, assuming he's improving, and we'll see him on the field sooner than later. I would give him a week. That's uh, that's yeah, my, uh, my unprofessional medical opinion there. That uh, let's let's sit this one out. Uh, more important things yeah. than than that. But uh, who am I? Uh, all right, so thoughts up for MJ TFC. Glad you're doing well, buddy. Let's go to first down here. And uh, the, the, the Arizona game, boy, this podcast is more fun when it's off a win. But uh, it looked dark and bleak after that first half. Uh, 
from your perspective, what flipped from the first half that ended up um, in such a such a nice and cozy win for the Huskies that felt nothing but that nothing like that in the first half? Um, I mean, it was pretty obviously obvious coming out into the second half. We were able to run the ball a lot more, uh, a lot more efficiently. We started out running the ball eight of the first nine plays in the in the first half and um, did it pretty unsuccessfully. Um, I think Savan Ahmed averaged only 2.2 yards per carry in the first half. Um, so that was disappointing. It was the first half was I had not been. That was probably the lowest point of the season for me going into that halftime. I was pretty much done with this offense because I was six, six straight quarters of just incredibly uninspiring play. Mm. Um, we we saw the same issues um, throughout that first half, uh, issues involving red zone inefficiency, uh, like we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. Um, this is that's that's pretty much becoming the QB uh, topic. Yeah. Uh, instead, instead of Jake Browning, we're talking red zone efficiency. But uh, yeah, first half drives. Let me just list them off really quickly. Uh, turnover and downs, four plays for nine yards, which we started on the Arizona 36. Uh, then second drive, field goal, eight plays for 62 yards, stalling on the in the red zone on Arizona's 10. Uh, drive three, a punt, three plays for five yards. Drive four. Field goal, four plays for zero yards uh, that started on the Arizona eight after a muff, muff punt. Awful. Um, then we went for a punt again, six plays for 43 yards, and another punt, three plays for four yards. The only uh, uh, the only touchdown score in that first half was by the defense on the scoop and score by Brandon Wellington, so the offense had nothing to show for it in the first half, uh, only accumulating 134 yards on 28 plays. Uh, so it really should have been 17-6 at half if you take if you take away just the inexplicable decision by Khalil Tate to throw the ball backwards uh, and then give us a scoop and score. So uh, yeah, dark times going into the first half, but um, coming out of the second half, things were a lot better. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll hop into the second half here in just a sec. But to to reiterate, because you're you're absolutely right that the the futility on offense was just maddening. Um, so Levi Onwuzurike blocks a punt, which for as far as our, our record combing, uh, can say hey, the only time that's ever happened in UW history, pretty much, because we couldn't find any instance of it. Uh, <laughs> but after that, at the, at, from, from that situation, you run the ball three straight times or four straight times for a turnover on downs. And then as you said in a text message to, uh, to our esteemed Pac-12 After Dark group thread, uh, you say, Jacob Eason is your quarterback in all caps. Uh, because you're essentially taking the ball out of his hands in that situation um, and just, yeah. you know, sledgehammering Savon Ahmed with dive plays, which is a weird, uh, weird thing to do. Not his play. Exactly. Um, and then the other red zone scoring opportunities, uh, the first field goal drive, you get to, to second and 10 there, um, about the 15-yard line. Uh, Jacob Eason on second and 10 ends up um, throwing a, a weird ball, trying to thread the needle to Andre Bacellia in the end zone. Uh, rather than picking up a first down, seemingly an easy one to an underneath receiver, uh, but he'll do that again later in the game to to success. So that's whatever it is. But then third and ten, throwing short of the sticks on that, um, yep. which is uh, unfortunate. So you pick up five yards on third and ten, you kick a field goal. Uh, then the second field goal drive after the the muff punt, like you said, it's third and goal from the five, and they ran a dive play uh, with no yep. intention of going for it on fourth down. Uh, which was just very confusing. And that's the stuff that's like, 
I don't care how tired I am watching a game on my couch. I should not be able to to you know pick a Madden play and run this thing better than um, or or more aggressively um, for for the benefit of this offense uh, than this offense is. Like that's just that's just basic stuff. That third and goal from the five. Uh, even if that's a good, efficient play, you probably get down to the one-yard line. And then if that's the case, then go for it um, because that seems to be your intent. Then the fifth drive, um, so skip, skip forward, I think, one more drive actually from that. Uh, that's the drive that ends in the Jacob Eason punt, uh, the the pooch punt, which worked out okay. Actually, I don't even know. I think it was a touchback, but irrelevant. Uh, it's third and 11 from the 32. So you're right on the cusp of field goal range or not. Uh, and instead of... of, um, of, of you know, trying to make that into a fourth and shorter for a field goal, uh, or to maybe go for it, um, you put you keep yourself in that exact same situation by uh, by throwing it on on third and eleven there when you could have helped yourself out and turned that into to points when you're kind of in that weird zone. So um, from all perspectives of just outside the red zone, right at the goal line, just the decision making, the play calling, the the aggressiveness was just so strange. And then to to end the first half, you get the ball back. Uh, at your own 25 with a minute and six seconds left and two timeouts and you pack it in and it's like this is college football you get a you get a timeout on every first down you have you have again Jacob Eason is your quarterback uh you want to try and get something there uh and instead it's two runs and that's it it was it was gross yeah it was basically the same thing we've seen for the past week plus uh from Bush Hamden just the play calling just didn't make any sense um now, given that, transitioning to the second half, Act two. we opened up. Yeah, we opened up on a ten-play, seventy-five-yard touchdown drive, where the first play of that drive was a twenty-eight-yard reception to Puka Nakua. Hey, so I mean, things started to open up a bit. We uh, we were able to run the ball pretty efficiently. Uh, Sean McGrew had a great uh, great few runs to start that second half. Which, by the way, I'm all for Sean McGrew. Uh, getting more touches no knock on Savan Ahmed but Sean McGrew 13 carries for 106 yards this is after um, he was used sparingly last week or he was used sparingly last week or against USC I can't remember but that BYU game he he also had a big game so he's basically been taking advantage of the opportunities the Huskies have been given to him uh, quite a bit this season so I wouldn't mind seeing him uh, get the ball more I think he's a little bit better be surprisingly between the tackles and Savan Ahmed even yeah. given his diminutive stature four um, four, so, yeah, we four, were able to... four four touches for 15 yards for McGrew against Stanford okay not yeah. that not that any running back got the ball the, the nearly enough in that game but exactly yeah. yeah another conversation there to be had but I mean we were able to kind of mix up our play calling a bit better I think uh, in the second half it's like Bush Hamden realized like oh this is division one football I should be doing this instead of what I, whatever the hell I've been doing for the past you know six quarters yeah uh, so I mean throughout the second half we score touchdowns on four of five red zone trips um, that's after scoring touchdowns on zero obviously red zone trips um, in the first half so that was encouraging uh, Jacob Beeson went eight for ten for 178 yards and two touchdowns um, after the game, Bush Hamden's, Hamden was asked what the difference was, and you know, in a in a typical response, he said it was just execution. I really feel that we we knew we wanted to run the ball in this game. We thought we could control that front. I think we challenged ourselves in that second half to get back to ex- execution. And I think some of this harks back to 
Um, there's been rumblings of the halftime uh, locker room, what, what was said in the locker room. Eason has noted that he realized that it was a little bit quieter without uh, Nick Harris there, who's the kind of default leader of this team. Um, so he took that upon himself, according to him, and spoke a little bit, spoke up a little bit more. And I think that's a role he said he wanted to continue having throughout the rest of the season. And I think that's great because I think a lot of people on this team look up to him uh, as a leader, not only because he's a quarterback, but just because he's pretty good. Um, so uh, overall, second half was great. Uh, it kind of hit me you know like i was not ready for it i was thinking we'd just come out there and lay a dud again so uh made my night a lot better than it was before then yeah uh eason's yard per attempts um drops or goes up from 10.43 and that was boosted a little bit by a couple big hunter bryant catches um in the at the towards the end of the first half uh so 10.43 in the first half to 22 yards per attempts every time he throws it in the second half uh, which is very, very good. Uh, Big-time throws by him with pressure in his face on that first drive, the one that gets ca- capped off um, with the Jack Westover t- or touchdown. Uh, but also with that Westover touchdown, he gets drilled as he throws that on kind of the the uh, the, the fullback uh, out into the flat play there. But then mm-hmm. a couple plays before that, getting down to the goal line when he threw to Aaron Fuller. So that's just Jacob Eason looking in the face of pressure and still delivering the ball, something that we have called for the last couple of games uh, instead of him re- retreating um, to little success. And the best case scenario in that that is a, is a throwaway of him stepping into a throw and hitting a guy downfield or, or at the goal line. So that was great to see. And then it just comes back to you over and over and over again, uh, at least from my perspective, and I wish I had the, the, the full data to back this up, uh, but when this team runs play action, regardless of the success of the running game, um, things just look so much better because of the way the, the, the play is blocked. Um, it allows Jacob Eason to just focus on the one guy who's supposed to be open as a result of the play, uh, make a nice throw and hit them. Uh, that's what happened with Jordan Chin. Thank you for liking that tweet, by the way. I was very proud of that, but didn't get, <laughs> yeah. didn't get the, uh, the, the recognition it deserves. Um, the mm-hmm. play action to Aaron Fuller for the touchdown um, on the beautiful over the th- over the shoulder uh, throw for that one. Um, so just just this offense and Easton, I think, just looks so good when when it's just a design throw. Um, there's a couple of reads and the offensive line is blocking in a way that that is uh, specifically designed for where that play is going. Um, it's just so much better than him improvising or going empty. Um, and at least in my opinion, you can't do that every play. Um, but those are you know there needs to be ten close to 10 play action shots a game. Um, there's a reason for, for doing more of that. Yeah. And I think an argue, argument can be made that this was the best half of football we've seen from the Husky offense all season. Um, I mentioned last week after that loss to Stanford that UW has um, lost 10 straight or hasn't basically hasn't come from behind and, and won a game at, that they were losing at halftime in forever. Uh, this is obviously the one that broke that losing streak. I think it was the first instance of that since 2015. So that was definitely very nice to see happen. Yes, uh, the offense was great, uh, especially in that second half, or pretty much only in that second half, what am I saying? Uh, but the defense really showed <laughs> up um, throughout the game. Um, and in what was a challenge in, in defending Khalil Tate, um, that was made a little bit easier by Khalil Tate's decisions to to run directly to the sideline whenever he got pressured, um, essentially creating mm-hmm. another defender uh, for the Huskies. But uh, nevertheless, 
Uh, the defense get after it. Lots of big plays, which we've been calling for for, I don't know, two years now, maybe three. Uh, four sacks, nine tackles for loss, an interception, three fumble recoveries, and a blocked punt for the Husky defense, allowing 4.7 yards per play against a team uh, that usually is a little bit above six in that department. Uh, very, very well done for the Husky defense. That was fun to watch. Yeah, the uh, the defense held Arizona to 360 yards on the night, um, which is down from their normal average of 509 yards per game. So that was pretty impressive. Um, about 177 in the first half, 183 in the second half. So about the same across the board. Um, on Arizona had 15 offensive drives. On the 10 drives, they didn't score any points on uh, Arizona drive average was 3.4 plays for six yards so we really were able to shut them down in that regard um i counted four sacks nine hurries against tate uh four takeaways three of which were by fumble one interception and UW scored 20 points on the ensuing drive after those takeaways i'm counting the scoop and score as one of those um so that really took the pressure off the UW offense in order to uh perform in the second half, um, you also saw Ariel Nagata move yes. the inside linebacker, a move that has been kind of played with in spring practice but never really tried out in real games. Um, he led the team with eight tackles, one tackle for loss, which says a lot because he had only totaled three tackles so far through our first six games. Um, addition, In addition to that, you saw also, uh, Asa Turner come in and start over Cam Williams, who played sparingly on Saturday, should be noted. Uh, Turner ended up playing a lot of that a lot of um kind of like the contain the edge mm -hmm. um really really far up in the box was interesting to see because he's also you know he's a safety he can play that uh he can play that single high safety as well he's athletic enough to do so and then brandon mckinney also saw increased reps um overall there was also a few mentions by the arizona staff that uh there was there was um, blitzing packages that they'd never seen before. A lot of blitzes from the uh, safeties as well. So I think Jimmy Lake did a really good job as at disguising his pressure, uh, pressure which he brought pretty consistently all night and flushed Tate out of the pocket, mostly to the right side. And he, you know, more often than not, you saw him throw that ball away and make some pretty interesting decisions <laughs> at the same time. So um, overall, it was a really really good game from the defense and uh similar to the usc game i thought jimmy lake completely uh game planned the opposing offense out of the game yeah that's the second time we've heard from an on a, a, an opponent uh whether it was michael Pittman um from usc or kevin sumlin now from arizona um talk about how the huskies had brought something that uh, hadn't shown up on tape uh, previously, which is really awesome. And, you know, that type of ingenuity on the defensive side um, is inspiring and fresh. And I wish just it, it could, uh, you know, move around in the building a little bit um, to, to the offensive side. But uh, none the matter, uh, the blocked punt by Levi on Wazurike was uh, just the latest in a string of really great um, play from him. Uh, they, the Huskies left their defensive line, uh, not just their punt team, but their, their actual defensive line on uh, for the punt play, uh, which is something that someone pointed out they hadn't done before. Uh, Levi physically displaced the, the personal protector for, um, for Arizona to get to the punt, to get to the punter and block that. That was awesome. Um, I, I, from what someone had also said about what the, what the team did, I was trying to figure out what he meant, but, um, he was saying that the, the linebackers did a light, nice job of running through 
And basically that's just gambling from the linebacker's perspective that the play is going to, to be a run play um, and, and what side it's going to be on. So they're not waiting for the running back to, to get the ball and, and declare a hole. Um, or the linebacker, whether it's Nada, Wellington, um, or whomever, is coming all the way through the offensive line to try and make the play in the backfield. Um, so it's a little bit riskier, but given the uh, this this team's um, deficiencies in in or allowing in big plays um, because of their inability to get to this from side to side in the run game, might as well just blow it up in the backfield, um, which was interesting and and um, again just a new wrinkle um, that also is only brought on because of a guy like Ariel Nada, his speed mm-hmm. um, in that position. He's a little bit little bit thinner uh, to play linebacker. Um, but he does bring the element that he allows you to get upfield uh, defensively a little bit. So that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Also, that that uh, the curious case of Khalil Tate. I mean, that that fumble backwards. It's it it's really put Jake Browning off the hook for one of the more <laughs> inexplicable quarterback under pressure um, just fuck ups I've ever seen in my life. Uh, although Philip Rivers did the exact same thing on Sunday Night Football the next day, pretty much um, later in that or early in that game, but that play was brought on from a three-man rush. Ryan Bowman is in Khalil Tate's face in like a second after the snap, uh, and then Joe Tryon and, and uh, Benning Potoai uh, have a little twist play uh, to create pressure on that side too, leaving Tate to just puke the ball up, um, which which obviously resulted in the scoop and score. Uh, but that play was brought on by Ryan Bowman specifically who came up with a big pick later in the game uh, and was your, I think your PAC 12 defensive player of the week for his efforts. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And, and this is actually Khalil Tate is my great cat. So mm. we're getting to it a little bit early, but I, it was, I was really disappointed in him. <laughs> what? Or your OKG depending on your out. Well, yeah, it depends. Yeah. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, I was just really surprised. I mean, you hear a lot about Khalil Tate. You see Khalil Tate in other games, and he's able to produce, uh, you know, through the air or on the ground, coming off of 404 passing yards the week before. Um, it's just like he lacked mental fortitude, which um, didn't really make sense to me coming from a three-year senior starter. Uh, but, yeah, the fumble for the scoop and score didn't make any sense to me. And then he also had another play uh, later on where he just ran out of bounds for a six-yard loss instead yeah. of throwing it away. And and Tim Brand- Tim Brando and the uh, color guy even commented how you know shocked they were to see that. So really poor uh, decision-making from Khalil Tate on Saturday. His second half, five for ten, six through three yards, no touchdowns, one interception. So was unable to do – pretty you know nothing through the air and then on the ground he had negative 28 yards so we're able to stop him at what he's you know he's had two 100 yard rushing games so far this season so he can definitely beat you on the ground so um again going back to the to the defense and jimmy lake just a tremendous job yeah still a guy that strikes the fear of god in in you every single time he has the ball but uh, just a, an altogether confusing effort. Didn't seem like he was too concerned with the outcome of that game. Uh, didn't seem really dialed in throughout, but uh, oh well. Um, that's kind of the difference. I mean, you got to be up for, for games no matter what. Um, yep. One last thing on the defense, Miles Bryant. My God, the, the fumble he forced, he's blitzing from the right side on a, on a, on a slot corner blitz. Uh, goes basically all the way to where Khalil Tate, the quarterback, is. Um, imagine him tagging him like he's tagging first base. Uh, and then from there goes all the way to the other side of the field, the left side of the field, um, to the, to where the bubble screen is caught. Uh, and after the sideline, yeah. And after Asa Turner kind of stops that play a little bit, uh, and the receiver is trying to get up, 
uh, Bryant forces the fumble. Um, so the ground he covered on that play, the focus to stay with the play, uh, even though he was he didn't actually execute or get home on his blitz, um, was incredible. There's another play where he just went straight under the left tackle because he's so small uh, and so fast as a, as a pass rusher. Uh, he is PFF's second-team All-American safety at midseason, uh, and we have noticed his play. He is he is incredible. Yeah, this is this is no surprise to a lot of a lot of us Husky fans out there. Um, he's just really put on a show so far this season. It'll be sad to see him go, but I'm excited to see the next six plus games because he's definitely fun to watch out there. Yeah, a guy who plays very hard, makes up for his uh, his physical deficiencies uh, with just effort and uh, incredible football intelligence. Third down, uh, sock receivers, and the, the 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 big name here is Puka Nakua. Leads the team in, in receiving yards with three big catches, uh, one of which was kind of in a in a garbage situation, uh, but the other two were were huge, uh, including a very very uh, Randy Moss esque uh, catch, the catch in the Puka Nakua young career so far. Uh, reacting exactly how I would, uh, freaking out after he caught it, uh, and also a <laughs> great ad for the Adidas jerseys uh, from not ripping there as multiple Arizona defenders were, were trying to uh, remove that jersey from his body as he was running away from them. Yeah, uh, like you said, three catches, 97 yards, four targets, which was the second most only behind Aaron Fuller, who was targeted seven times. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, went over the corner, to make that 49-yard catch on the go route down the sideline in the second half, fought off multiple tackles to extend the play by about 10 yards. Um, he also had a 20-yard catch on a deep cross in the first half. Um, I, I don't remember the third catch, so you know if you have that, let me know. Nope. But uh, <laughs> they totaled 97 yards, I can tell you that. Um, I think – so we talked a lot last week about wide receivers uh, and uh, only targeting Aaron Fuller and not being able to separate – blah 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 i think the run game probably helped in this department especially in the second half when we were able to kind of open it up on the ground that opened up the passing game uh so we were able to see more people get involved hunter bryant had three catches for 45 yards um i think he was targeted three times so it was good to see him included after a week where he i think only had one catch for eight yards something along those lines um so overall no one I mean, Nuku almost had 100, but only on three catches. So no one really, like, totally, you know, popped. But it, the wealth was spread nicely, which I think is what all Husky fans were looking for because last week was kind of a joke in that regard. I remember mentioning to a few people, if Puka Nakua doesn't get targeted, I'm just going to, like, lose my mind this week. And so I'm really happy that he was not only targeted, but they went back to him multiple times, and he was actually a show that he can be uh, a vital part of this offense. See, that's when you threaten to to transfer your alumni status to Oregon State. That's that's yeah. that's, that's what you meant to say. Um, gives you yes. a more focused um, act to, to actually perform uh, if if and when you you do reach your breaking point, um, as I have <laughs> have put out there many times in this podcast. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Aaron Fuller going for four for sixty and a touchdown on just the seven targets. Uh, I think is a much better dosage for him than the seventeen that he got the week before. Um, you know, if the difference between Aaron Fuller this past week against Arizona and Stanford, Arizona, 
or Stanford Aaron Fuller is is a difference of ten targets. Uh, those ten targets can be distributed um, in much more efficient ways and ways that um, involve players with different strengths, such as Hunter Bryant, uh, Puka Nakua, uh, Kate Otten, who I don't actually think was got, got a catch uh, this week against nope, Arizona, but. Uh, not every week is going to be his week, although I still would like to see him involve more because it feels like he's open and um, has. I don't can't remember him dropping a pass at this point this season. Uh, but there's also a little wrinkle um, with the UW receiving core, uh, and it's this mysterious but not really that mysterious situation with Ty Jones. Um, he mm-hmm. tweeted, "Getting anxious." This is a guy who had a thumb injury or a hand injury um, this off season that kept him out of playing it in the early season. Um, and it's kind of been, oh, yeah, where's where's Ty Jones? And then Chris Peterson in his press conference on Monday says, oh, yeah, he's healthy. He can play, uh, which led me to kind of do the, the white guy blinking uh, gif thing where you're just like, yep. whoa, <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of surprising for him to say that. <laughs> um, and then also saying yeah. uh, that he wants to redshirt. Um, obviously, with the new redshirt rules, a guy can still play in four games and still uh, maintain his redshirt status. One would think that a healthy Ty Jones, the same guy who had a 43-yard touchdown against Oregon last year, uh, might want to use one of those games in a game like this. Yeah, I fully expect to see Ty Jones this week. Um, Like you said, four games, so you'd expect him to play against Oregon out of the remaining games. I'd also probably expect him to play against Utah, and then uh, they divide the other two between, you know, Apple Cup, uh, bowl game, etc. So um, it makes sense for him to redshirt because he's already missed what seven games. Uh, but we're talking about a guy who led the t- led the wide receivers at least last season in touchdowns with I believe six. So uh, definitely can produce. Like you mentioned, he was able to find the end zone against Oregon last season too. So um, I'm really excited to see him hopefully this week because I think he brings a new element. Um, he has a bit more height than. The rest of our receiving core, whether or not he actually utilizes that height is another question in his game, but uh, at least he has that to his advantage so he can go up and get it. Um, so, yeah, I would expect to see him this week. Yeah, and I mean, even thinking about the Puka Nakua catch, uh, the catch that has been branded um, as of five <laughs> minutes ago, uh, that ball is only thrown to Nakua because of his size and leaping ability. That's not something that you can throw um, to Aaron Fuller, uh, or to, you know, maybe, maybe to Fuller, no. but definitely not to Bacellia, uh, or to Chica McClatcher. So getting to be placed way better. Exactly. Getting these types of guys in the field just increases your ability to take those shots down the field. Uh, which as we've said ad nauseum is what really is the, the linchpin to unlocking this, this offense. So we'll see with Ty Jones, but, uh, healthy, eligible, um, and can still play without burning the red shirt. I think uh, this year's this Oregon team is a, as good a team as any to uh, to get it on with. Uh, all right, so fourth down here, uh, which is that Oregon team previewing uh, this week's opponents. Uh, they lost to Auburn in their first game, but have basically rolled everyone since then. Uh, not the best schedule for Oregon um, in between that that Auburn team and now, but uh, that's not their fault. Uh, Last year's game ended in a heartbreaker as C.J. Verdell uh, scored in, in uh, the, the second half of, of, or the second, I guess, the, the their Oregon's offensive series in overtime to end the game after UW had kicked a field goal and theirs. That game, as hard as it was, I just rewatched the highlights, that was an awesome, awesome game. And it was really the first time that, that UW and Oregon have been on the same plane um, in a really, really long time. And I feel like we're in for another one of those games this Saturday. 
Uh, yeah, sorry, you just lagged out for a second, so I have no idea what you said, but um, <laughs> I... <laughs> last, last year's but, Oregon uh, game yeah, was I... tough, but but ultimately a, a, a thriller and the type of college football game that uh, that you have to kind of enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you got to get up for these games. These are the most exciting games of the season, whether uh, you like it or not, um, just because of all the outside noise that comes with a rivalry game. I think the line's right around three right now in Oregon's favor, uh, this will definitely be the toughest atmosphere they play in uh, given this season, given it's a true road game, unlike the Auburn uh, one at the beginning of the season for them. Um, so obviously there's some known commodities here already with Justin Herbert. Uh, and you mentioned CJ Verdell as well as Travis Dye um, at running CJ Verdell and Dye being their running backs. Um, Herbert, we all know about one of the best QBs in the country. Um, he'll be one of the first signal callers taken in the next year's NFL draft. He's averaging 267 yards passing per game this season with a 17 to one touchdown interception interception ratio, uh, as well as the 11th rated passer efficiency rating in the country, which is surprisingly th- third best for Pac-12 behind your boy Tyler Huntley and Anthony mm. Gordon of WSU. So um, we know he can produce C.J. Verdell is the main back for them, although he'll be spelled with a more change of pace guy in Travis Dye, um, who I think kind of is like a more proven uh, Sean McGrew, sort of. <laughs> I think he's pretty small. Is um, white? But yeah, uh, Verdell... Uh, no, I don't think so. Mm, but, yeah, Verdell, Forner... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he's really into uh, Fortnite like McGrew is, though. There you so. go. There's the there's the connection. Uh, yeah, Verdell, 448 yards this season, uh, averaging 5.7, and Dye's averaging six on 288 yards. So um, they can hurt you on the ground, although they don't really factor in that much to the passing game. I think they each have seven receptions apiece. Um, the big news this week for Oregon's offense was the loss of Jacob Breland, their tight end, and also their leading receiver, uh, 405 yards. The next best receiver. Um, had 299 so obviously a huge component of their passing attack he also had six touchdowns so it'll be interesting to see how they will kind of offset that loss Uh, you have johnny johnson the third at wide receiver who's kind of their next go-to guy along with uh, jalen red also a wide receiver so those are the two guys on the outside to keep an eye on yeah, the uh, the offense uh, of Oregon is is not the offense that we're, we're you know you think of Oregon you're thinking of of fast um, you know just just kill you with a thousand paper cuts uh, this this type of team led by Mario Cristobal has taken on an identity it's much more smash mouth much more uh, deliberate down your throat type um, attack uh, that'll be especially more so or especially so uh, with Breland out who is PFF's first team tight end for the midway point of the season. And yep. uh, our our boy Bill Connolly's tight end um, of of the season uh, through through the the six games that Oregon had played, or I guess it's seven games. But either way, um, the defense for Oregon is is really what's what's turning some heads. Um, gave mm-hmm. Auburn fits in that first game until Bo Nix kind of broke that game open. Um, they are the top defense in the nation per SP S and P plus. Um, they were number sixty six last year, or number six of sixty six of the past five seasons. Um, the Willie Taggart year, they were 106th uh, in that regard, but have uh, have gone all the way up. Um, per a new site that I found that's called uh, bcftoys.com, and I promise it's safe for work despite the name. Um, 
the uh, so if you're defining a, a, the length of a team's drive from like when they start the ball or when they get the ball and how far they have to go. Um, so imagine a long drive is when you you get the ball between the, the zero, so your your own goal line, um, and the twenty, and then a medium drive is when you get it between the twenty and the forty. So you have between eighty and sixty yards to go for a score, and then a short drive is when you have to go um, forty yards or fewer. Um, so long, okay. medium, short. Nobody in in any of Oregon's games this year has scored against them in drives that begin inside of their own 20-yard line. So basically, if Oregon gets you on a long field, you're not scoring because their defense is just, um, they don't concede a lot, and they kind of make you have these really, really long drives if you are going to move the ball on them. Um, So field position will be at an absolute premium um, in a game Mm -hmm. that Oregon is just kind of going to try and bow a constrictor similar to what I think Stanford did, especially with the tape that they now have uh, of what what Stanford was able to do with just the the Cameron Scarlett plus hitting guys um, downfield attacking the the sidelines. Um, So this this Oregon attack will be very simple, um, and I think uh, they're just going to kind of rely on their offensive line, which is full of really, really good players, um, to to beat the Huskies to death and hope that the small linebackers and uh, inexperience on the D-line is going to cost the Huskies. Yeah, speaking of that defense, um, it's it's pretty, like you said, turning heads. It's pretty crazy uh, because this this Oregon team, a couple years back had a pretty terrible defense. Uh, they gave up a lot of explosive plays and that's, that's completely changed under new defensive coordinator, Andy Avalos, who came over from Boise state, probably why uh, teams aren't able to score when they have to sustain long drives, just because they don't give up explosive plays at all. Um, they've only given up five plays so far this season of 30 yards or more, no plays over 40 yards or more. And they rank 15th nationally in plays of 10 plus yards conceded at 58. So they're really good in that regard. Um, they're currently averaging only 8.7 points per game conceded, which is the third best in the country. Uh, and it's the first time they've since 1933 when they, when they were in the Pacific coast conference, that they've held their first three conference opponents to 10 points or less. So they've been really getting it done on the defensive side of the ball. Um, unfortunately, uh, after looking into this a bit deeper, um, I know we've I mentioned our red zone woes on offense. Well, their red zone defense is incredible so far this season. Opponents are scoring on just 57% of their red zone, red zone trips against the duck defense, and only 14% of those trips have resulted in a touchdown. Uh, so... Uh, they ranked 11th nationally, allowing only 14 trips so far this season into the red zone. Um, so that's something to definitely watch this week. If we're able to get into the red zone, being able to actually punch it in for a touchdown will be paramount. Um, something to also keep in mind is they are second in the country as a team in interceptions with 12 only behind San Jose State. So Jacob Eason's really going to need to take care of the ball and pick his uh, spots strategically there because they will ball hockey and take some off you. They uh, they have some some guys, Oregon does. Breland, Breland yep. was probably one of their, their future first-round picks in addition to, to Herbert. Uh, but there's a couple of other guys that are that are in that uh, discussion as well. Uh, Penny Sewell is the their 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 offensive tackle left left tackle. Yeah, left tackle. He's probably going to be a top five pick um, here pretty soon. PFF's top graded player in the country at offensive tackle, uh, allowing pressures at just 1.8 percent of the dropbacks that that the Oregon Ducks have had. 
Uh, all five of their linemen are tough, including uh, they have Chase Warmack's little brother, um, Dallas. Chase Warmack okay. was a, a former uh, Alabama offensive lineman. Yep. Um, Diamador Lenore, Lenoir, Lenoir. Don't know how to say his Lenoir. last name. Uh, I, I just want it to be Lenoir. Quite the name. Uh, but yeah, shut down corner for them, um, which <laughs> hopefully the Huskies learned their lesson um, from throwing at Paulson Adebo as often as they did it and with and how they threw it at, at him with plays like slants um, and things that really good corners eat up. Uh, hopefully they've learned their lesson to keep keep the ball away from him. A guy that's not there for Oregon anymore but was last year, Dylan Mitchell, uh, was really the key to their offense, um, keeping it going. Uh, not really an explosive offense for Oregon this year or last year, uh, but Mitchell in that Husky game, uh, on third downs alone, was four four catches on seven targets for 57 yards and a touchdown. Moved the chains four different times uh, just on third down, including uh, a big catch on third and 11 in overtime. Uh, Jacob Breland was also targeted often. So without those two guys for Herbert, um, if the Huskies can can make him throw to these guys who just don't have the same chops that those two guys do, um, I, I I like the Huskies' odds if they can just get a few, get a few. I mean, this is the type of game I just feel like. You get 24 up and, and you really lean on your defense to uh, to make some plays for you, get in, get, get in Herbert's face, um, then uh, then this can work out. But if it's just a situation where Oregon goes up, you know, 17 to 6, and they just, like I said, boa constrictor you, uh, it's not the type of game you want to be in. So getting out to a, a key key start and making Oregon throw and throw um, and, you know, have to really attack downfield without the weapons to do so, I think is key for the Huskies. Yeah, and this is an obvious comment to kind of tie this all off, but um, similar to the Arizona game, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have a few plays like that Miles Bryant strip, uh, McDuffie recovery, things like that. Some some plays that'll really alter the game. Um, so obviously the takeaway category is always important, but I feel like in these type of games where the margin is just so much more slim, it, mm-hmm. there's just so much more riding on that category. So something you really are gonna wanna you know lean on your experienced guys like Miles Bryant to uh, come up and make those type of plays for you. Last year's game included, I don't know if you, watch, watch the highlights, because it was really incredible, a triple reverse um, from the Huskies. I, I, we haven't even <laughs> seen anything close to that in terms of creativity. I, I guess they've they run the Chico McClatcher kind of jet sweep reverses, but um, and a reverse to to uh, Savon Ahmed for a touchdown. But a triple reverse handoff to Sean McGrew, uh, a pitch to Aaron Fuller, and then a pitch back to Jake Browning to throw to Drew Sample for a big gain. Um, why not? Let's pull out all the stops. Yeah. Uh, this is this go for is, two every time. Yeah. Just, just their own medicine, some weird stuff like this, that. This is the type of game where you can really flip the narrative on this conference where uh, if Oregon wins this game, it's exactly what everyone expected. Uh, they've really taken control of this conference uh, where if you do the opposite, you get it done, uh, especially with Cal's struggles um, and Washington State's struggles in the, in the north, then this is right back in the driver's seat for the Huskies. Um, Oregon would have to lose another time in the conference, but um, but this goes a long way towards uh, towards making that happen. So big, big game, um, and one that I expect to be just as close as the line is. Uh, dogs are three-point underdogs, um, but I do want to see at Husky Stadium, uh, there's got to be uh, little little rubber ducks in every single urinal in that stadium. Oh, if, yeah. If not, and I, if not, no I one's can, doing I their can job. Report- and I can report that on the Dogman forums today, there are links to 
uh, purchasing those ducks on Amazon. So there's a lot of people that are going to be doing that. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Husky (laughs) stickers on Oregon fans' backs. That was always one that I used to like doing when I was a kid walking around. No one would notice. (laughs) Um, All that stuff is fair game. Um, But uh, but yeah, stay above stay above the like bags of urine. But yeah, breadcrumbs are in game. Rubber ducks, all that. Uh, duck calls, whatever it takes, because uh, screw these guys. Uh, it's time time to uh, to put them back. Uh, we had a, we had a good there when we were just whooping them when before Cristobal had arrived and things had really set in. Um, yeah. But uh, Cristobal is is no joke. Um, not the nicest dude, but uh, but he's got a good thing going there. Uh, do you want to do like a prediction? We never really do predictions, but what's your confidence level for this game? Oh man. Uh... Well, I'm gonna have to choose the Huskies to win just because it's it would the, be it's wrong of me on a the Dick Baird legacy on this podcast. Pick. Yeah, yeah, the Dick Baird pick uh, would be 24 to 17 Huskies. Okay, I like it. I'm gonna say 24 13 and <laughs> J- Jacob. So much different. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the less <laughs> less success for Oregon offensively, um, yeah, yeah, and. Jacob Eason versus Justin Herbert is like a Todd McShay, Mel Kiper discussion point uh, heading into next week. If we're forgetting yeah, the narratives, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the rest of this little conference. Uh, back the pack, real quick rundown of last week. Uh, starting off with that weird twelve thirty start. Only weird that it was at twelve thirty uh, p.m. and not a.m. between Wazoo and Arizona State. Uh, Jaden Daniels, the ASU freshman quarterback, continues to look really, really good. Uh, he finishes mm-hmm. off the Cougs with a 17-yard touchdown, uh, moving Arizona State to uh, right atop the Pac-12 North or South at two and one in that that division, uh, and then to Washington State to 0 and three in conference play, uh, which is pretty nuts. USC goes to Notre Dame, makes it a close game, uh, but it kind of got away from them a little bit early. Uh, they were never un- ever, never able to recover. Uh, Ian Book and company put that one away late. Uh, USC, um, Keaton Slovis' return doesn't work out so hot. Utah and the Beavs, um, I definitely did not predict anyone to rush the field in Corvallis last week. That was not an actual prediction. I just said it would be cool if. Uh, but anyways, Zach Moss had more than two times as many rushing yards as OSU did in just five carries. Um, it oh. was it was really ugly for for Oregon State uh, and ugly quick that uh, that Utah offense is rolling in all cylinders, especially when they have Moss. Rebuild the dam. Yeah, yeah. The, Utah took took some logs with them uh, on their way back to Salt Lake City last week. Um, yeah. This week, can I just comment? Can yeah. I just comment really quickly that uh, that the South is just so crazy that the UCLA Bruins are still only one game back from first place in the South. Yes, uh, and <laughs> so at two and one, and they're one and two. And in the most Pac-12 thing ever, the Pac-12 South's uh, four best teams square off uh, this weekend, which is pretty cool. Uh, but both of those games are on the Pac-12 network, um, which is oh. just dumb as hell. And, including uh, a ranked matchup, Arizona State 17th, Utah 13th, yep. and that's not Pac-12. Here's your chance to wow. show show the world Jaden Daniels, um, ASU's hotshot quarterback, show people that Utah is still legit even though they lost to USC in a weird game. Um, but it's a big one for Utah considering that ASU uh, gets to host USC, who's also 2-1 in conference, and ASU does not play 
uh, UW. So Utah still has to come up to Seattle, um, a yep. place where I actually had it wrong a couple weeks ago. I forgot Kyle Whittingham has won there one time, uh, but it was in 2015. It was in the Jake Browning freshman year. So I don't know. That was kind of bad. okay. It was, it was a long time ago, but uh, I like the accountability you have there, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you know people thinking I just make stuff up and don't fact check myself. Yeah. That's just most of the time that's the case. It's reckless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, ASU wins that game. They have a pretty good hold on the conference, but they are 13 point underdogs uh, heading into Salt Lake City for that one. Uh, and then Coug fans, uh, they get to do what they do best, which is punch walls. And they are punching walls this week <laughs> by uh, playing Colorado, uh, a team that uh, just got blown up by Oregon. They are 124th in the nation in yards per attempt against uh, Wazoo's like top five or top 10 in that category. So uh, Anthony Gordon might throw for 700 yards in this game. Yeah, hammer the over. Why not? Yeah, seem, seems like that's the case, even though every time we end up saying <laughs> that, uh, it's like a 24-12 to 12 game in the Arizona-Texas yeah. Tech case. Uh, Don't take any betting advice from us. And then uh, in a Pac-12 North mini-showdown, uh, the Beavs go to Berkeley. Um, they could get it done, but I because that, that Cal offense is just so futile, but... Uh, that uh, Jake Luton will be in for a, a long day against a, a really good Cal defense, as we know. Uh, national scene. It was kind of, uh, we didn't get quite uh, shut down full cast, blood week um, potential that was there with, with Georgia mm-hmm. losing um, and with, with someone between Texas and Oklahoma losing um, and same with Florida LSU, but wasn't quite that level, but it was our first kind of uh, major moving and shaking week in the college football scene. Uh, Georgia... Just gets ugged. They almost Clemsoned their way out of a game um, in the same way that Clemson has done several times in ACC conference games. But South Carolina hangs on somehow. But the problem with SEC teams is that you think they're dead. They never are. They have nine lives. Georgia still hosts Florida and Missouri to to win the South, and then that'll give them a shot uh, against LSU or Bama in the SEC championship um, that would take them to the playoff. However, this Georgia team does not look nearly as talented as the last few years. Yeah, that was a weird game because South Carolina is not the greatest of teams. Jake Fromm looked really shaky in this one, and um, it never should have gotten to the 2 OT situation. What's kind of weird to me is at the end of that game, you, you have a 55-yarder, and you're trying to run a 55-yard attempt where you're at at the field for Georgia. You attempt to run one more play to get a few yards, but you get a uh, – it's an incomplete pass, but there was a – uh, a legal formation penalty called on him. So they moved it back five yards. And so it's a 60 yard attempt. You have Rodrigo Blankenship, who's arguably one, the best uh, kicker in the country. We'll talk about this in a minute, although. Um, and and you don't give him the shot at 60 yards. I mean, just prepare for a potential, you know, return of the kick if he's short and let him try and win it at a 60 yarder. Instead, they they attempt the Hail Mary, don't get it, and they go to overtime. So that was kind of strange from Kirby Smart there. Um, and then, obviously, Blankenship missed another field goal in overtime. So I guess that kind of ruins my theory there. But, um, yeah, bad game for Georgia, for sure. And then uh, LSU – or, sorry, Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, Bevo was just uh, vaporized. Their, their national championship or playoff hopes, not that mm-hmm. they really had any realistic ones, but – uh, C.D. Lamb is a really, really bad man. 
171 yards and three touchdowns for the Oklahoma receiver. Uh, the only two obstacles left in front of them on their schedule are going to Baylor uh, and then Bedlam to finish the game or finish the season in Stillwater. Uh, so two big road games for Oklahoma, but uh, the the path is very clear for them if they if they continue to just throttle uh, the uh, the lesser or Big Twelve teams on their on their schedule. Uh, but you never know. We always thought that about Oklahoma, and then they still have uh, you know those types of games, whether in Iowa, Iowa State or just some hostile, weird um, midwestern environment in November that's hard <laughs> to get up for. Um, but yeah. uh, but they sure look good. Yeah, and Texas proved to everybody that tackling is important in the game of football because they couldn't do that. Uh, they lead the country in missed tackles, and CeeDee Lamb made them made them uh, show that on the national stage this week. LSU um, is is fun to watch on offense and not sad because yeah. they have, have talent that's being suppressed for like the first time mm-hmm. since, like I don't know, like, Ever. Like, like Marcus Randall was their quarterback pre-Marcus Russell days. <laughs> Um, they averaged 10.6 yards per play, which is just yeah. nuts. Uh, what's uh-huh. the, the the stat Caleb insisted that is his? Uh, they had, what, three third downs the entire game? They they only got the third down four times. Four the times. Game. Four situations. Yet they, yet they had 500 and something total yards. So they just didn't even need to get the third down. They were just, you know, that's what happens when you average 10 yards a play, I guess. So, yeah, they, they beat Florida, um, shockingly, with numbers like that. Uh, the Joe Burrow-Heisman campaign is is real strong. Got to think that it's his um, for the moment. Uh, Jalen Hurts is obviously in that discussion, uh, Tua as well. Um, but, yeah, they play Alabama on November 9th in Tuscaloosa, so we're three weeks away from that, and they have a bye. Yummy. They have a bye the week before, but that is going to be just a huge, huge, huge game because uh, that puts – probably the winner of that game into the SEC championship um, to to face likely Georgia. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, appointment viewing uh, for that one there. Huge Heisman implications, too. Surprisingly, Tua is actually, as of today, the still the, the favorite in Vegas, which I think is a little BS because Burrow has him in basically every category other than total touchdowns th- or touchdowns thrown. And I think Tua has him by only one or two touchdowns. So um, my money's on Burrow to keep it going, but uh, we will. It will be interesting to see both of them go up against each other on the ninth. Yeah, Vegas is still uh, accounting for a regression coming for Burrow at some point. But uh, the more this yeah. thing goes, the less likely that looks like it's going to happen. Um, big if true, and by big I mean B one G as in Big Ten style. Did you know that there are four undefeated Big Ten teams? I did not. <laughs> Wisconsin, Ohio State. Uh, there's another one that I'm forgetting right now, which is great. Um, and then Minnesota is another one. Did I really just make up that there's a fourth undefeated? Oh, Penn State. Penn State is also undefeated. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're so, going to have some pretty good matchups coming up here in the next few weeks. Yeah, none of them will mean anything because only one of those teams is actually good. Maybe two with Wisconsin. Their defense has been legit, but they just, again, haven't yeah. played anybody. Um, so yeah, four undefeated teams in the Big Ten, um, which is just insane. Uh, this week for the slate, Pat, the pack owns sixty six percent of this week's number versus number games, ranked ranked matchups. Uh, so cannibalize cannibalize yourself, Pac twelve. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will do be, your worst. Yeah, I will be at the NC State uh, Boston College game for a little ACC Atlantic 
fluffer before Ooh. the uh, before the Oregon game. Um, that's that's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, see what's some, the see other some high there... school ass offenses and <laughs> can't wait. It, it looks like Michigan Penn State is the only other ranked matchup on yes. the calendar. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, yep. hopefully Michigan can bring down Penn State a bit. Um, wouldn't mind that. Although I'm not a fan of either team, so whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's big, big whatever. Uh, great cat this week. You already declared yours, but was there a, was there a, a a close second there? Uh, I don't have any top of mind. I'll make up for it on the OKG side of things. I have like three, so go ahead. Gotcha. Um, my great cat of the week, and I can't find his tweet right now. You might have remembered the uh, the gist of it. Um, I am buying time right now, uh, <laughs> slowly saying my words so that I can find this tweet from John Canzano, uh, ah. found it. John Canzano, who is the, uh, the, the writer for the Oregonian, uh, a guy who I was cool with for a while because he was frequently, um, laying or putting, putting Larry Scott and the Pac-12 to task for their, their transgressions and, in, in, uh, not advancing this conference in its best way possible, uh, Canzano for a long time was was uh, kind of just a, a troll for Washington fans um, back in the like Terrence Jones days, back in the uh, the LaMichael James era of Husky football. Canzano, um, after a little bit of time, he and I being cool, tweets out on October 12th after the Huskies um, game and the Oregon game, says Oregon will handle Washington next Saturday. Huskies don't scare. Utah will beat UW, UW too. Utah Oregon is the title game. Everyone else watches from home. All right, John, you're off. You're off the cool list. You're back to being a, a just a, yeah. You're back. You're back to being a cheerleader for the Oregon football program. Um, like we all forgot that you were for a long time. So, I guess thank you, John, for for exposing yourself again um, in like the Mark Jones way. But uh, what the hell, man? That's that. It's, it's kind of strange to also throw that out there after UW puts up probably their best uh, half of the season, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get the fact that he thinks Oregon will beat us, which I don't necessarily think is that up. I mean, it's not that absurd, obviously, but um, interesting point to put it out there, I guess. Yeah. Or time I, to put it out If there. I was an Oregon fan this week, I would not feel amazing walking back into – into Husky Stadium, um, where the last time I was there, it was just an absolute disaster, thirty-eight to three. So uh, there's yeah. that. Another great cat is the, uh, the, not you know my profession notwithstanding, but the concussed ref in the middle of the the Arizona game. It, I don't know if you you caught that, but uh, one of the yeah. refs had to leave the game because he was put in a concussion protocol. It was actually very thorough reporting from the reporter. Uh, they were talking yeah. about the the ref as if he was like the you know the the starting tight end. Um, and what he was going through. Um, so that was funny. How's that great cat? Isn't that maybe OKG? The fact that they put him into protocol and maybe, didn't want to keep going. Maybe it's yeah. uh, wrong place, wrong time for the for the ref. But as everyone knows, with concussions, it's your fault if you get them. Right? That's that's how it goes. Oh yeah. You can yeah, avoid you can avoid them if you just drink enough water or have the right helmet yeah. or you know things like the that. Russell Wilson uh, exactly logic thing. exactly yeah. divine mm-hmm. intervention. Uh, OKG of the week. You've got a couple at least. So, uh, why don't you give me two of them and then I'll give you, well, I think we have one, uh, one shared one for sure. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll keep the shared one to the end. Yes. Although, uh, my first point is special teams in general. Mm -hmm. We talked about the block punt by Levi Onzerike. 
Um, should have had a second one there at the beginning of the second quarter from Kamari Pleasant. Not really sure how he missed that, but uh, he liked the fact that he's there at least to potentially make a play. Um, recovered a fumble on that muffed uh, punt, which is always nice. Um, little Joel Whitford appreciation here. Yeah. Uh, he had a 67-yard punt on Saturday. Uh, can you tell me what the longest punt is in UW history? Uh, just maybe by who? I'll give you the number here. Though. I, I think it's Sean McLaughlin. Am I right? Uh, no, it is actually, it is a Sean, but is it is Sean Douglas. Sean Douglas. Okay. Um, yeah. And now I'm second guessing. Is that, did I type in Douglas and meant to say McLaughlin? I don't know. I think it is Sean uh, Douglas. I'm going yeah. with it though. Sean Douglas, Oklahoma against Oklahoma in 2006. Uh, there's actually a tie here. 82 yards is the is the uh, yardage, by the way. Kyle Rasp mm. also hit an 82 yarder against Cal in 2010. Uh, 67 is the 17th longest in punt in Utah punt history. So Whitford is is inching his way up there. But uh, yeah, three punts for 48.3 yards uh, average this past weekend. One inside the 20. Um, he is his average is now at 45 across 20 uh, punts this season. So he's 0. 0.6 yards away from the single season record set by Kyle Rasp in 2011 at 45.6 yards per kick. So that's something to watch um, in the less celebrated category of punting. And then uh, one, note another... on the, one note on the special teams: yeah. uh, the Huskies are second in the nation in S and P plus for uh, for def- for special teams, according to Bill Connolly. That's incredible too, because were we were so bad last year, abysmal last year. I don't know the exact number, but uh, like over a hundred type, definitely bad. over a hundred. Yeah, so number two in the nation in that that regard. Wow. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's that's a great stat, by the way. Uh, second OKG here is Jack Westover, the redshirt freshman tight end, hailing from Mount Sy mm-hmm. High School. Uh, three year, three yard receiving touchdown to open the second half um, on that play action pass on the goal line, and then near the end of the third quarter, he helped push in Savan Ahmed uh, into the end zone for another touchdown. So uh, he was at the he was in the the fray of a few touchdowns here, which was cool to see him getting involved, a player that's normally not involved like that. Um, so him and then even Jordan Chin was getting involved too with that long reception. So uh, that was nice to see from both of them. Absolutely. And now to our to our shared uh, OKG, that would be Peyton Henry. Um, he, yeah, this is labeled Lou Groza watch. <laughs> we need to start... Uh, NBA front offices do this stuff all the time. They'll make like, you know, unibrows for people, for NBA writers to wear, meaning, you know, vote for Anthony Davis for MVP, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we have no money or influence or ability to do that. Uh, but let's just start tweeting relentlessly. We can do that. We'll enlist the help of Zach yeah. Peggins, who famously got Ben Burkirvan the Heisman last year. Um, congrats <laughs> to Zach. Uh, but yeah, the Lou Groza, Peyton Henry campaign um, is is strong. Uh, which do you want first? Do you want the the history of Lou Groza as a human, or the history of the uh, of the uh, winners of the award, and why Peyton Henry has a real case for it? Let's let's set the scene and give me the history of Lou Groza as the human. And just so we're clear, Lou, the Lou Groza Award is given every year to the best kicker in the country. Yes, it is. Um, all right, so Lou Groza Award. Is given is bestowed upon, like you said, the best. <laughs> again, I, I, I am incapable of doing two things at once. I really think I am. I can, but I never can. 
Let's focus here, Brandon. Uh, Lou Groza Award, best kicker in the nation. Lou Groza learned place kicking from his older brother, Frank Groza, uh, when they were kids trying to kick balls over telephone wires. Groza enrolled as a scholarship athlete at Ohio State. He played only one season there because he enlisted in the Army to go serve in World War II. Lou Groza lands in the Philippines. He says when he lands there, he saw a soldier shot in the face. He was stationed in a bank of tents about five miles from the front lines and helped doctors tend to the wounded. He says he saw a lot of men wounded with severe injuries, loose legs, guts hanging out, stuff like that. It's a tough thing, but you get hardened to it and you accept it as being part of your being there. While he's in the Army, he gets a, a package from a guy named Paul Brown, who's now the Ohio State football coach, ends up being the head coach for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, it contains footballs. Uh, so imagine you're in World War II, you're seeing guts hanging out from people, and then you get a box from Paul Brown that says, here's some footballs, here's also a contract to play on the Browns uh, in the American All-America Football Conference that later became the NFL in part. Uh, he signs a contract May 1945, joins the team. Uh, after the war ends in 1946, Groza gets a $500 a month stipend until the end of the war and then a $7,500 annual salary to play kicker for the Browns. Following his discharge from uh, the military, Groza reports the Browns training camp. He shows up in his army fatigues, carrying all of his clothes nice. in a duffel bag. Lou Groza wow. ends up also playing offensive tackle for the Browns <laughs> in addition to kicking. Lou Groza yeah. kicked ass. <laughs> Literally. His nickname was The Toe. Uh, and yes. uh, for that... <laughs> We give love the this. nation's best kicker award to that incredible man. Six three two fifty two. Oh I mean, my god! This guy, this guy is a unit yes. as well. Wow, <laughs> I didn't even know that. I just Prime thought he was Joy like a normal. Martinsbury, Ohio. Let's wow. go. Yeah, he uh, in the Hall of Fame, the NFL Hall of Fame. He he deserves it just for that that Wikipedia uh, you know a, or description alone of his life. My God. Um, all right, statistical analysis here of, uh, of what it takes to win the Lou Groza Award. Okay. Of, since the award has been bestowed upon the nation's best kicker every year from the year 1992 on, the average uh, made PATs in a season was about 42.5, uh, You and the average kicked was about 43. So maybe you can miss one PAT, but really never any more than that. Uh, among the the history of the award, uh, one note here: Roberto Aguayo won the award in nineteen in uh, two thousand thirteen. He kicked ninety four extra points that season, so oh. lots of extra points for that Florida State offense. That's for Florida State, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then on the field goal side, the average kicker goes about uh, twenty three for twenty six um, for uh, for the season in terms of in terms of their uh, their accuracy, hitting about at least eighty nine percent of their. Um, of their kicks for or, or okay. field goals. This is not taking length into consideration. I couldn't get that data fast enough and didn't care enough to, to go do that. Peyton Henry, as of right now, 29 for 29 in, in PATs, 14 to 14 for field goals. Uh, that puts mm-hmm. him at a 13 game average of 53 PATs made well over the, the, the minimum threshold or the average for, for the winners in that regard. Uh, and then 26 field goals, uh, which Ooh. is well over the average of, uh, or three field goals av- over the average of made field goals for the winners of the award um, throughout the last uh, 27 college football seasons. 
Basically, we shouldn't have done this. We should we've, not have done We've this. completely jinxed this, you we, realize. The, we're talking about the <laughs> same guy who chunked a field goal to, to lose to Oregon last week. What are we doing? Um, we can well, we're already off. in too deep. Let's keep this rolling. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Peyton Henry is probably going to miss at some point this year. But if he keeps this up, there is a very good statistical claim uh, that the same guy who was just kind of a, a – he wasn't a disaster last year, but definitely didn't look like he had any, um, you know, real potential as like an ace kicker. Is maybe your midseason Grozo Award winner? Yeah, I mean, here's what is for sure. Here's what's set in stone, regardless of if we've jinxed him or not. He's responsible for the fifth most points in the country so far with 71. Mm-hmm. Four, the four players in front of him in that category are all position players, just to give you. Uh, some context so you know they're throwing up seven points here here and there or six points at a time um most field goals made in in the country at 14 um just to for some more clarity because he's made 14 straight uh the uw consecutive field goal record is 25 set by chuck nelson in 1982 where he went 25 for 26 across that entire season mm-hmm. so he probably won't hit that number but you never know um, it's just kind of exciting, like you said. You know, last year, you know, a lot of struggles put on scholarship before the season started. Maybe that was the change. You just need to be on a scholarship. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Just got to put the the carrot before the horse here. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it has worked out really really well. And then a guy that was missing in the whole special teams discussion is Tim Horn, who is um, the the Husky yeah. um, kickoff specialist, who is just drilling things through the end zone. Um, over and over, uh, the one time that didn't was a was kind of a grounder that went out of bounds. Um, but that's a, just a, a different type of kick that they're trying to accomplish there. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's really rolling for the Huskies from a special teams perspective, which is kind of crazy. And a thing that we've talked about a couple weeks ago was, uh, you know, you finally figure out special teams two years too late, um, but that's okay uh, because I know that uh, it's just it's just important for a team like the Huskies. It's not going to just blow teams out. Uh, you got to have this part of the game figured out, and for the first time in a while, yep. they really do. Yep, it feels good. Feels good for sure. Feels good, man. Um, okay, we've talked about Lou Groza seeing guts hang out of people and playing tackle and kicker. Uh, we've officially jinxed, <laughs> officially jinxed Peyton Henry. Uh, I think it's time we just we stop this before we're ahead. But uh, this was yeah, this is good, yeah. man. I'm I'm stoked for this week. Yeah, three thirty game regardless. For me. Of- oh. Oh yeah, that's doable. I mean, okay, who I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but I'm just excited to have a really, you know, high-profile home game to attend this weekend. So, trying to look at the positives, have some perspective here. Yeah, biggest uh, most exciting home game I would imagine since the Stanford Friday night game 2 or 3 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, you could be yeah, you could be right. I think just in terms of profile, the Huskies were were ranked a little bit higher then and and as was was Stanford versus Oregon, but yep. um but uh, that turned out to be a much bigger disparity between those teams um, than I think this week will be. Uh, all right, man, uh, beat Oregon, go dogs. Uh, good stuff. Thanks for doing this. Yep, beat Oregon. Yeah.